0: You're listening to It's Getting Better, a podcast about mental health, hope, and overcoming challenges. While this podcast is not intended to replace medical advice or professional help, we hope that the stories and experiences shared by young people can help you on your journey of getting better. I'm your host, Kate, and I'm so excited to be joined by Tyler today. I'm just going to let Tyler introduce herself and tell us a little bit about her experience. Hi,
1: guys. Like Kate said, my name's Tyler. I'm super excited to be here. So um, I'm just going to start off with like one of my favorite fun facts. Um, So the fun fact of the day is that the average person has one traumatic event in their life. Um, But I don't like to be held back by statistics. So I decided, hey, let's try and get two before the age of 20. So that's where I'm at. Um, so my I've had two so far, hoping to rack up some more. Makes life exciting, right? So my first one was a head injury when I was in kindergarten. I was, I think, five, um, which is pretty, pretty darn young to have such a traumatic head injury. But I was so I was running at PE and my I had my red high top Converse on. I was feeling I was feeling cool, right? It's my first year of school. You know, I'm killing it. I'm feeling I'm feeling awesome. I'm wanting to look good. And we're running at PE and my shoelace comes untied. And so I go over to my PE teacher. I'm like, hey, like, will you tie my shoelace? And he's like, yeah, just give me a sec. Keep running. So I run. I'm like, I'm going, I'm zooming, right? And I trip on my shoelace. And I can't get my little arms out in front ahead of me fast enough. And so it's just like, wham, I hit the concrete. And so I'm like, I stand up. I'm a little dazed. I'm a little confused. You know, there's nothing visibly wrong with me, uh, which I think is kind of almost ironic because that's what would continue to happen, right? There's nothing visibly wrong with me. So I i, wa- I was walking home with my mom after school because it was my last class of the day. And I was like, mom, like the sidewalk is swimming. Like it's like wavy. And she was like, okay, when we get down, like let's lie down, which by the way, don't do that. Don't lie down and try and go to sleep when you have a head injury, not not the move. So I went and I laid, I laid down. I was like, mom, I'm gonna throw up. Mom, I'm gonna throw up. And she was like, okay, like grab me a little bark bucket and I threw up blood. And so immediately we were like, crap, like, let's get her to the hospital. So my dad drove me to the hospital in our black suburban, pulled up real fancy. And they took me in and they did a bunch of head CTs and stuff. And I had a, a fracture in my school. And it's, it's actually truly a miracle that I didn't have any like brain damage or brain bleeds, but I had a, I had a little crack right here in my school. And there was no, it didn't cut, like it didn't break the skin or anything, but there was, my brain had been shaken around, you know? So I was in the hospital for for a night or two. And then, you know, I had that cute little black eye that turned all the colors of the rainbow before it went back to normal. Um, and everything was pretty good, right? Everything felt pretty okay until I tried to go back to school. And I woke up the morning that I was going to go, I was cleared to go back to school. And I just was terrified. And I remember being like, Mom, like, I don't feel good. Mom, I don't feel good. And she was like, okay. And then I threw up and she was like, okay, well, you can stay home because you're throwing up. Like, maybe you're sick. So I did that for probably a week, week and a half. And finally, we were like, okay, something's wrong. Um, so they took me to this psychiatrist, and he ran a bunch of funky little tests. And I had to like, look at the colors and shapes. And to make I think it was to make sure I didn't have any brain damage. But I also think it was a way of him telling me like trying to figure out like, okay, what's going on inside your head. And so they came back with general anxiety and PTSD, um, which post traumatic stress disorder, which is, really hard to hear at five years old. And I think really hard for my mom to hear because that's really young and it manifests very differently in different ages. And it's hard, especially when you're younger, because you don't know how to communicate what you're feeling. So, you know, I went through this year of kindergarten and I couldn't, I couldn't go to school. My mom would have to come and sit in class with me. There were a couple of times when I tried to make a run for it and I would, I went out in the hall. I remember vividly one time my mom had dropped me off and she was leaving and I ran to the door of my classroom. I swung open the door and I ran out into the hallway. And one of the other teachers who was in the classroom next to me opened the door and goes, "Tyler, get back in your class." And I was sobbing and like dry heaving. And my mom was down the hallway, and I was like, "Mom, mom!" And she was like, "Go back to class, Sarah Like it's okay, it's okay." And so that was really a detriment to my education because I couldn't get, I couldn't sit through class. So halfway through the year, I moved to schools. Um, to another public school. We moved from Gilbert, Arizona to Mesa, Arizona. And so I I started a new school. It was like halfway through kindergarten. The teacher was amazing. I did a little better. It was still really hard. First grade, horrendous. Second grade was weirdly okay. And then third grade, our school got transferred to like two of the schools in the area, like became one to the elementary schools. So we got moved. And so I was like, change, change, change. Boom, re-hit with that whole like, wow, I can't breathe. Like I'm throwing up. I visit like crying. Every time I go to class, I am functioning at like a kindergarten age level. Right. I'm crying when I go to school, I'm throwing up, which is so embarrassing. Um, and I remember, and this is literally like probably one of the saddest stories from, from this time. Um, I remember I was getting dropped up at school. My mom was dropping me off and I was doing that thing. I had to, I had to count before I get on like one, two, three, go. Right. I see this kid that that's in sixth grade. I was in third grade at the time. And I was, you know, obviously already pretty embarrassed about the fact that I was crying and throwing up. And he was with a group of his friends and I like knew him, like he was a family friend of ours. And he pointed at me as I was like crying and like throwing up in the parking lot. He pointed at me and told all his friends, like, look, look at this little baby. And they all laughed at me. And I was like, awesome. That was the first time that I think I realized that this wasn't, normal right like this wasn't something that everyone went through i just assumed that this was normal because i was going through it and i didn't know any different because my whole school career thus far i'd i'd been dealing with this so that was a really hard pill to swallow and i just remember like not wanting to go to school after that and i told my mom like can we please just go like can we park and walk in because i don't want to go through the drive line anymore like people are laughing at me like i, I can't do this so fourth grade was a really good year I don't know why. I think I just had a really understanding teacher. I also was starting to get older. And so I was starting to be able to say, "Okay, I can internalize these things. Um, I also got on medication. So I was on medication, which I'm still on. (laughs) And fifth grade, crap at the fan. I could not go like I was I had to sit by the door in the back of the classroom because I would leave the classroom every 15 minutes to go through up in the hallway. And I was so embarrassed because I was like, I am in fifth grade. Why is this still happening? And this time I was going to counseling, but, but counseling so hard for little kids because at the time it wasn't really, there was no really like child therapy, right? It was more, well, here's what we do with adults. Let's see if we can like kind of tweak it and give it to kids, which needs to not be cognitive based because it was very cognitive based therapy. Whereas like with children, it needs to be getting to the root of the problem, not just putting a Band-Aid over the problem over and over and over again. So fifth grade, I went online. I went to online school for a year and I hated it. I Terrible, terrible for me. I cannot learn over a computer. Like I have to be in person. Um, so that was a really hard year for me. And I was just frustrated because I was like, every other kid is going to school just perfectly fine. What is wrong with me? Right. So my whole my whole thought process was what's what's wrong with me? Like, what did I do wrong? What am I doing wrong? Why am I broken? that was the question. I mean, at fifth grade level, I was asking why I'm broken, which is really sad. Sixth grade, I transferred to a special school for kids who have mental illness and behavioral like issues, which also was really different because I I felt like I wasn't at a level where that was something that I really needed. I felt very, very out of place there, but I also felt out of place at public school. So it was like, what? what do I do? Right. So sixth grade and seventh grade, I mean, beginning of sixth grade, I tried to go back to the public school I was at before. And my mom had to literally sit at school with me. Like at sixth grade, my mother had to come in and if she left, I could see her through a window. And if she left, I like vomited and couldn't be at school. So that's where we introduced separation anxiety into the mix of the mental illnesses. And so we were like, this isn't working, right? So I went to that that special a little school. It was It was actually really good. I was there for two years. And then I decided that I was ready to go back to public school. And so I went to junior high and I did good. I think I was finally at a point in my life when I had started to kind of understand what was going on. And I was at a, a place maturely where I was like, okay, this is how this works. This is how, you know, this, I, I feel like this, okay, this is how I'm going to feel. This is, this is my normal. So I need to figure out how to take it and and run with it. Because if I try and just ignore it, it I'm not going to get anywhere. And then we moved from Arizona to Utah. And I was like, okay, I got this. And, you know, ever since then, I think that I had hit that age where I was like mature enough to understand what was going on with me and mature enough to take, you know, I was taking this medication that was really, really helping me. And I was getting the help that I needed. And I was finally at a place where that that therapy was actually making sense. And it was actually doing something for me. And I was able to take my healing into my own hands. Whereas when I, when I was younger, that was, that was something that was really hard because I didn't have the cognitive functioning to like actually internalize what I was being told and what I was being taught. Then, uh this February, I so I was a intern with Unified Police Department my senior year of high school and I was also the captain of their cadet program. So I was really intertwined. Um and I got the opportunity to go on a ride along. It was a day shift ride along, you know, everyone's like, "Oh, these are boring." Like, this is not like like, you're not going to see anything cool. It's a day shift right along. Like, I think it was like a Wednesday or something, like a Wednesday during the day. Like, it's going to be boring. You know, just kind of go see what you can learn. I'm what we like to call a crap magnet, black cloud, if you will. So there, there is no, like, boring when you're with... I'm the personification of chaos. Like, I wear it loud and proud, like, yikes. Sometimes it's a little yikes, but it's Okay. It's okay. Cause I'm funny. So it makes it worth it. So I get into this, this car, we're on like our third call of the day and we get a call to a, a McDonald's because a guy has gone through the drive through and they had gotten his order wrong. So he did what any reasonable person would do. Right. And he brandishes a weapon. He brandishes a gun. And you know, cause like I would do that too, if someone messed up my order, cause that's the rational, that's the rational thought process that one goes through. It's like, oh, you got my order wrong. Okay, what are our, what's our plan? Gun. That's a great idea. Yes, let's brandish a weapon and tell them that they got my order wrong. So we got called in, right? And you know, they had the guy out of the car. You know, they had him starting to they were starting to cuff him. And the minute my car pulled up, the officer I was I was riding along with, you know, looked at me. He was like, "Hey, like, there's a bulletproof vest in the back. If you need it, you're probably not going to need it. You know, just sit tight. I'm going to go make sure the scene's secure, and then we'll go from there." And I was like, "Okay, yeah," I was feeling good. And the minute that he opens the door, a shot goes off. And so he looks at me, he's like, get out, get out, get out. And so I'm, I'm laying in the front of this cop car and I'm like, I don't, I don't know what's going on. Right. And, and the radio's on, but, but I am not hearing the radio because right now I'm focused on what I'm feeling internally. And I'm very caught up in my head. And of course all the thoughts, thoughts start and you're like, am I going to die? Like, what if the, like, I don't know who shot, like what if he's still armed? What's going on? So they secure the scene. There's only one shot. No officers are harmed, which was incredible. And we find out that our shooter was a four-year-old. The father had put, when he was getting arrested, put the gun that he had brandished in the back seat in like the back pocket. And we had no idea the kids were in there. It was a tiny car like there. And he had stuff stacked in the back. Like we didn't know he was, they were in there. His son had grabbed it and, and shot it at the officers. Just absolutely heartbreaking. You know, that a, that a four-year-old, A, knows how to do that. And B like felt, felt comfortable doing that. And so, you know, I was feeling pretty okay on the scene. You know, I got out, I helped put up some crime scene tape. I was, I was standing next to the sheriff when she gave her like news address and I was feeling good. And we got back to the precinct after the day and I was like, I'm going to throw up. And so I got out of the car and I, I vomited in the grass in front of a bunch of officers. And I was like, awesome like this is so epic and the officer was like you know what honestly you 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 lasted a lot longer than I thought you were going to and I was like let's go so I home that night and I was I was really you know stressed out shake it up and for a minute I was like how am I gonna do this as a as a job with what I have going on and I was like who do I who can I talk to because you can't talk to the average person after that because they don't they don't get it right and the officers at Unified were incredible at, like, letting me know that, like, if you need to talk, like, we are here. We understand. So I talked with them, and it and it took a minute. But after the first shooting, all of the rest of them were kind of the same after that. So after the first one, you're kind of good. And so we had a a couple months. I guess I've had three traumatic events. But the third one wasn't really that traumatic. I mean, it probably was, but, like, not for me because I've already been through one shooting. So we were up at, like, a, a camp. and shotgun shot went off in like the middle of the night and we all hit the ground. And the whole camp was like cleared because of with the officers that were there. And I just remember, like, I was, I was in charge of everyone there. Like I was the captain. And so, you know, my, my thought process wasn't even on myself. It was on the people that I was supposed to be protecting. I made them all get behind me, you know, and I was just like, if crap goes down, like I am the first line of defense. And after that whole scene was secured and every, everything determined there was no threat. I expected to have the same reaction that I had had before. And instead I just went to sleep. (laughs) So that was the moment that I was like, oh, like I can, I can do this. Like once you have that first reaction, once you have that first, it's, it's muscle memory, right? It's, it's learning from each of the experiences that you go through. So yeah, I think that's really like my, my mental health, journey my experience this far
0: wow and like what a journey that is like these massive life-changing experiences that affect you and like I can tell you've learned so much from them and it's it's really created the person who you are what do you do to like maintain that like well-being that clarity of mind what does that like actually look like for you
1: okay so for me I think the biggest thing that I like do to kind of co- combat is I take I take medication and I've taken medication for eleven years, um, same medication for eleven years. I actually just switched over like two days ago to a new one because I was like I've been taking this one for a long time and it's starting to not do what it needs to do. Um, the other thing that I really do to help maintain my well being is is working out. Working out is huge for me. Um, like I can like when I don't work out when I don't go for a run like I can feel a change within my like mental health. And I just feel down and low and not like myself. One of my biggest things that um, I was actually taught by my advisor, like an advisor, she's awesome. Shout out to Melody Cutler. She's incredible. I love her. She taught me this like way to go to go run, right? Cause I, I was running, but she said, when you leave your house, you're allowed to feel whatever emotions you want to feel. Pissed off, sad, angry, anxious, whatever it is when you leave your house when you go out for your run, right? But the minute that you decide you want to turn around and come back, you have to either have a solution or have taken enough breaths to calm yourself down. Otherwise, you're going to be running for a long time. And I've gone on some wild long runs. I've gone on six mile runs. I've been running for an hour and a half. But following that has been so helpful for me because it gives me a goal, right? It gives me a okay, this sucks really bad, better figure out a plan really, really fast, because I want to go home and I don't want to be running anymore. Um, Which has been really awesome. And then I think the other thing is, I've become a big fan of the puke and rally. Because sometimes it is just really hard. Sometimes you get to a place where the only thing that I mean, for me, that's going to really relieve what I'm feeling is I have to I have to throw up, which stinks. But if you name a place I've probably thrown up there, Mesa, Arizona temple thrown up there, Greece thrown up there, for Jackson, South Carolina thrown up there. Like, like if you pick a place, I've probably thrown up there. It's, it's, I have a bucket list of places that I'd like to throw up. So, um, but you know, you just, you get it all out and then you say, okay, awesome. Let's not dwell on it. I get three seconds to freak out more. And then I need to stand up and I need to get my butt doing what I need to do. Or I, I, a lot of counting, you know, count to three and and go. Right. Okay, I'm sitting in my car. I'm freaking out. Okay, one, two, three. Okay, once you're in, you're in. It's that anticipation that really is the killer. Another thing, you know, just with like counting is when I'm having those panic attacks, when I'm having those freakouts, it's setting myself a time limit. Right, you get 15 minutes. You get 10 minutes to panic, and after that 10 minutes, you suck it up and you need to go. You can do deal with it later, but right now, like. I'm not like, don't internalize it. Don't keep it in there, but give yourself 10 minutes to let it out. And then realize that if you dwell on it any longer, you're never going to get anywhere. You're going to continue to sit in this thought, this thought bubble. And so you need to break that. You need to break out of that. And you need to get going because once you're going, you find clarity in the things that you were freaking out and dwelling on before.
0: That's fantastic. I think that that idea of like a time limit is fascinating to me. Like, okay, you know, on my run or for 10 minutes or three seconds or whatever it is, it sounds like it's really beneficial. I like like that kind of mindset of like, okay, I'm, I'm allowed to panic or I'm allowed to feel these feelings, but I can't just let it take over forever and ever.
1: Your emotions are valid and it's valid for you to feel those. But if you sit and let those emotions take over, you will never, you'll never get anything done and you'll sit there and you'll panic and you'll feel awful for forever. And no one wants to feel that way. I don't want to feel that way. I would wish that upon my worst enemy at all. Like I, I hate that feeling, but it's necessary for, for growth and for healing to feel those feelings and know how to come back from them. Because if you just continue to shove them down and shove them down and shove them down, then you're never getting that learning experience of feeling what they feel like and knowing how to come back from that. And with practice, it gets faster. You can be in the, like, I used to have to take, you know, 45 minutes, an hour of just feeling this feeling to the point where now I can get get it out and get it done in 15 minutes, 10 minutes. It's like most things, muscle memory, it takes practice.
0: Yeah, and I think that you've had all of these years of practice and you mentioned some teachers were more supportive than others and then you you were saying like certain like members of the police department were supportive and things like that. What makes other people like effective supports for you or what would you say to someone like I need your support, here's how you can be helpful to me?
1: I think it's hard because it's so different for every single person and and a lot of people don't quite understand that point of where you're coming from because they haven't felt that. So one of the biggest things for me is is I just asked them, listen, I'm fighting my brain right now. Like I'm having this internal, this internal battle. And so your support is just going to be letting me do my thing. Right? Like the teachers that were lenient enough to say, listen, like, don't, don't have to raise your hand, like, go ahead and walk out of class and like, go do what you need to do. The teachers that were willing to say, okay, if you need time, we'll give you time. Right? And the officers that were willing to sit down and say, listen, like, we've been there. If you have issues, if you have feelings, if you're stressed out, if you don't know how to process, come talk to us because we have been there. We can process with you. We can help you process. So just giving that room to initiate the healing processes is huge.
0: Everyone kind of has different needs and all of that. So it starts probably with just opening that space and giving someone else the room, like you said, to heal. My last question for you is what advice would you have for other teens who are, you know, maybe experiencing something similar to what you've experienced? How would you advise them about getting better?
1: I mean, we live in such a fast paced world where we are expected to go, 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 go all the time. And if you falter, if if you trip, you're left behind. That's what we've been, we've been made to believe. And so just knowing that like, number one, like your mental illness may be a part of you, but it does not define you. That is one of the biggest lessons I've learned. Yes, it is part of me, but it is not my defining feature. The other thing is knowing that like, we've been told that if we trip, if we falter, if we, you know, take medication, if we go to therapy, we're wrong, we're bad. Medication and therapy are not, are not an embarrassment, right? They're not a weakness. It's, it's a way to facilitate healing. I mean, you'd never. You would never call someone weak or pathetic for having a cast, right? And it's so hard for people to grasp the idea of of an invisible illness, something that they can't see, affecting someone so harshly in their day to day life, affecting the way that they function. And so, you know, just remember, like that is not a weakness. It is a it is a tool to facilitate healing. And, and another thing with healing, like healing is not linear. Like, give yourself some grace because no no one has ever gone through the healing journey in a straight line. There will always be a dip, a curve, you're feeling good, you're feeling good. Oh my gosh, something hits you. It doesn't mean you're failing at healing. It it means that you're on a natural path of healing. It's a journey. It's a journey that is yours and yours alone. No one else's journey will look exactly like yours. And you need to not compare your healing journey with someone else's because that is a detriment, right? That'll make your healing process so much harder because you will be trying to, you will be sitting there wondering, well, why is this person okay? The same thing happened to both of us and they've become fine and their healing process was short. and mine's taking forever? Am I a failure? Am I the worst? Like what's wrong with me, right? Back to that question of what's wrong with you. And the answer is nothing is wrong with you, right? It is a chemical imbalance. It is something that is out of your control. You are not broken because of your mental illness. I think that's something that people need to internalize, right? You are not broken. This does not break you. This does not define you. Truly, it makes you stronger. Right. Because you're battling something no one else can see and you're winning every single day that you wake up and get out of bed. Every single day that you make it through the day, you won. You won the battle for that day. And I think just remembering that like everyone's mental illness, everyone's idea of mental illness is so individualized. No person looks the same. And so just comparison is so damaging and it makes, it makes life so much harder. And I think my final thought is just it's okay to not be okay all the time you are a human being, you're not a machine, you're not built like a machine, right? You do not have to be functioning at 100% all of the time. That is not realistic. Stop telling yourself that that's a possibility because it's not. And once you get past that, and once you realize that there's days where you're not going to be at 100%, but as long as you're getting up, as long as you're opening your eyes and you keep breathing, and you keep going throughout your day, you have won and you are continuing to win. And until that day, your life is over, you are winning. Every single day you are winning and you have never been stagnant because being stagnant would mean that, you, that you're you not trying anymore. And just just opening your eyes and saying, listen, I made it through another day. I'm going to go another day is going to be the reason that you've accomplished. Like that is, that is an accomplishment in and of itself. And people don't realize that if they aren't struggling the way that you're struggling. But I'm, I'm sitting here telling you like, what you are going through is valid and you are winning. You are a warrior. And every single day that you open your eyes and you get out of bed, you have won. I have the mental illness infinity stones. I have like all of them. It's kind of fun.